Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor, and in the last episode, we talked about ADHD. And remember, ADHD had sort of three components. Uh, There were inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And remember, impulsivity was taking hasty action without forethought. Maybe blurting out an answer in class without raising your hand. Or eating a whole tub of Moose Tracks ice cream at 8 p.m. while watching the World Series without thinking about all the calories involved. I'm not speaking from personal experience there or anything. Anyways, we're going to keep on riding the impulsivity train in today's episode and talk about another family of disorders in the DSM-5. We're going to talk about disruptive impulse control and conduct disorders. Wow, (laughs) that's a pretty long name for a family of disorders. Uh, I just like to simplify the name and call them behavioral disorders. Uh, That's sometimes what we call them in a school setting, even though some schools, they'll call them behavioral disorders and others will call them behavioral disturbances and others will call them emotional disturbances, which is abbreviated ED, uh, which kind of makes me chuckle. And some call them emotional and behavioral disturbances or EDBD. So not super politically correct or consistent or anything. Anyways, the disruptive impulse control and conduct disorders in the DSM-5 are oppositional defiant disorder, intermittent explosive disorder, conduct disorder, antisocial personality disorder, pyromania, and kleptomania. Uh, and I could really do an episode on each of these, and I'm probably not going to do them justice in this episode. So if you want me to do an in-depth episode on one of these or on all of these, just shoot me an email at ctaylo41 at cbu.edu. So you might be asking what all of those disorders that I just listed out have in common. What does pyromania, which we'll talk about involves starting fires, have in common with kleptomania, which involves stealing? Uh, Well, all of these disorders violate the rights of others or conflict with social norms or authority figures. Uh, All of these disorders involve difficulties with behavioral and emotional regulation, sort of the impulsivity piece. And almost all of these disorders, with one exception, are more common in males than females. Uh, These disorders almost always emerge in childhood or adolescence. And we're gonna find that ADHD is going to be a risk factor for many of these disorders. Uh, Speaking of risk factors, we're going to find being disciplined harshly as a child, uh, particularly with spanking or corporal punishment is a risk factor. Uh, Growing up in a large family is also a risk factor, probably because it's easier to get lost in the cracks if you have a lot of siblings. Um, Peer rejection is a risk factor, not being liked by your peers. Being a victim of abuse is a risk factor, possibly from modeling the abusing behavior into other relationships. And growing up in a neighborhood that has high incidence of violent events is also a risk factor. And interestingly, low resting heart rate is a risk factor. Um, I'm one of those bio data people who loves looking at my Apple Watch to see my resting heart rate. Um, With running, uh, my resting heart rate has really dropped down. I think it's in the 40s right now. Uh, So exercise uh, lowers your resting heart rate. But with antisocial behaviors, we think lower resting heart rate might reflect callousness, sort of a lack of arousal. Uh, You can be cold and calculating, which uh, involves forethought and doesn't really sound impulsive. Uh, Anyways, Um, You know, with aggressive behavior, I think it's important to draw the distinction between impulsive aggression, sort of flying off the handle, and premeditated aggression, which is calculated and planned out. It involves forethought, uh, which is not impulsive. Anyways, 
let me devote a little bit of time to each of these disorders. Uh, and we can start with oppositional defiant disorder. Uh, psychologists colloquially call oppositional defiant disorder ODD. And ODD involves three characteristics. Um, having an angry, irritable mood, exhibiting argumentative and defiant behavior, and having vindictiveness or spitefulness. And I actually like working with these kids. Uh, I worked in an alternative school setting occasionally and had a lot of kids with ODD. Most of these kids, they didn't want to go see a psychologist. Uh, there was nothing wrong with them, according to them. Uh, there was something wrong with their parents or their teacher. Uh, their teacher might have been out to get them or something. And sometimes their teacher really was out to get them. Uh, some of the teachers in alternative schools, man, if no one was looking, uh, they get right in the kids' faces and antagonize them. But anyways, uh, it didn't really help to argue with these kids because they would see me as an authority figure and as part of the system. So a lot of times with them, I would pull out their file and say, you have a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder. And they'd say, that's BS. And so I'd pull out the DSM-5 and say, well, go through this and look at the diagnostic criteria and see if it describes you. And a lot of times they'd go through it and they'd say, yeah, I guess that kind of does describe me. Uh, but sometimes I would use sarcasm with them. Uh, they'd say, I didn't do anything wrong. Miss so-and-so is just out to get me. And I'd say, yeah, man, she's all on your case. You're a perfect angel, right? You didn't throw a brick into a window or anything like that. Just to sort of get them to argue for having some of the behavioral things that they could work on, right? Uh, anyways, uh, a lot of these kids deep down were good kids. Uh, the way these alternative schools work was kind of disturbing. You have kids as young as kindergartners that have to take off their shoes and walk through a metal detector every morning. Uh, the teachers don't tend to be of the highest quality either, since it's not exactly a desirable position. And I was always struck by the silence. There was no talking in the cafeteria, no talking in the hallways. A lot of these kids struggled with pro-social skills, uh, with appropriately expressing their emotions, but they weren't given the opportunity to practice or to learn these skills because it was just silence. They were treated like prisoners. And if you treat kids like prisoners, guess what? They start to internalize that and act like prisoners. Uh, anyways, the prevalence of ODD is about 3%. Um, a step more severe than oppositional defiant disorder is conduct disorder. Conduct disorder has four characteristics. Aggression to people or animals, destruction of property, deceitfulness or theft, and serious rule violations. Uh, conduct disorder starts to get a little scary. Uh, I think of it more like a felony and like ODD as more like a misdemeanor. I found kids with ODD to be sort of lovable delinquents. Maybe they stole from a teacher or did a few drugs or something. Whereas with conduct disorder, someone might have beaten an elderly person to a pulp and stolen their wallet or killed or tortured an animal. I had one teenager who put a cat in a microwave. Uh, and another teenager who pulled the feather, feathers off of his sister's pet parrot one by one just to see what would happen. Uh, this is clearly a different level of severity than ODD. And when conduct disorder progresses into adulthood, it can turn into antisocial personality disorder, which I'll cover with the personality disorders. It's one of those disorders that's in two families in the DSM-5, the disruptive impulse control and conduct disorders family and the personality disorders family. Uh, but this brings up a developmental cascade that we might see. Uh, the progression of these disorders usually goes ADHD to oppositional defiant disorder to conduct disorder to antisocial personality disorder. Uh, now, we know a vast, a vast majority of people with ADHD don't have and won't get ODD. But working backwards, it's sort of rare to find someone with ODD who didn't first have a diagnosis of ADHD 
or someone with CD conduct disorder who didn't first have a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder. Now, sometimes I'll encounter a child that's been slapped with a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. And I just sort of shake my head because uh, you can't get a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder before the age of 15. Uh, conduct disorder has a few uh, specifiers um, like lack of remorse or guilt or being callous and lacking empathy. The callous and unemotional subtype is particularly troubling. We also have two developmental courses. We have an early onset course that presents in childhood and an adolescent onset course. Uh, the adolescent onset course tends to have a better prognosis as it's more like just a phase the, the child or adolescent is going through. And the good news with conduct disorder is that it goes away. It resolves by adulthood in a vast majority of cases. Uh, all right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about intermittent explosive disorder. Earlier in the episode, I made the distinction between premeditated aggression and impulsive aggression. And we often see premeditated aggression with conduct disorder. But sometimes normally pleasant people just fly off the handle. And that's where intermittent explosive disorder comes in. Intermittent explosive disorder involves either verbal or physical aggression that occurs at least twice per week on average for a period of three months and doesn't involve physical injury or major property damage. Or it involves three behavioral outbursts in a year that do involve injury or major property damage. Uh, these outbursts are out of proportion to whatever's triggering them, and they aren't premeditated. They're sort of overreactions, like making mountains out of molehills. A lot of people with intermittent explosive disorder have hostile attribution bias. And hostile attribution bias is when you view certain innocuous, sort of ambiguous events as being hostile in nature. So if you're in the cafeteria and someone bumps into you and you spill your milk, with the hostile attribution bias, you may jump to the conclusion that the person ran into you on purpose, that they were checking you or trying to embarrass you. Or if you're walking down the street and you see two people laughing, instead of thinking that they're laughing at an inside joke or something, you jump to the conclusion that they're making fun of you. Intermittent explosive disorder also tends to involve emotion dysregulation. Someone with this disorder may seek interventions related to emotion regulation or to anger management. Intermittent explosive disorder has gone by a few names in previous versions of the DSM. In the DSM-1, it was known as passive-aggressive personality, aggressive type. In the DSM-2, it was known as explosive personality. And then in the DSM-3, it became known as intermittent explosive disorder. Okay, so two more disruptive impulsive control and conduct disorders to go. We have pyromania. Pyromania involves multiple deliberate attempts to set fires. There's a fascination with fires. And there can be almost sexual-like urges to set fires. This is not just being curious about fire. Uh, many children start fires as a normal, curious part of development. In fact, over 40% of arson cases in the United States are started by people under the age of 18. Uh, it is something we still screen for, though, and I think I've seen at least one case of childhood pyromania. Also, pyromania is not arson to get insurance money. It's not done out of monetary gain. It's also not fires that are started during protest or for political reasons, like, you know, burn it down, burn it to the ground. Anyways, um, I just got that song, uh, My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark by Fall Out Boy stuck in my head. Anyways, uh, moving on to kleptomania. Kleptomania involves uh, sort of compulsive stealing, and it's stealing things you don't need. Often people with kleptomania say they feel arousal in thinking about stealing, and they receive an almost sexual type of gratification when they steal. They get pleasure from stealing. 
they'll describe this tension that exists in them when they think about stealing. And the only way to alleviate this tension, to sort of scratch that itch, is to steal. Uh, I remember a case study of someone who would go into the grocery stores and steal jars of mayonnaise. Uh, they didn't even like mayonnaise. And they would just store the stolen jars of mayonnaise in their attic and never use them. Again, kleptomania is stealing something you don't need. Uh, you might remember the Heinz dilemma from Lawrence Kohlberg, where a woman is sick and dying, and uh, the drug to treat her condition is way too expensive. So her husband breaks into the pharmacy and steals the drug to save his wife. Um, this type of theft, theft is uh, not kleptomania. Uh, kleptomania is going to be the only disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder that's more common in females. It's actually three times more common in females. Uh, I've heard some theories that many women carry purses, and this sort of makes theft easier and is sort of enabling. Anyways, empty mailbag today, but hopefully um, this episode will prompt some questions or episode requests. Send those to ctayllo41 at cb.edu with a subject line mailbag. Until the next episode, take care and stay well.